Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we want to let everyone know that we are on the social media. Z- medias. You can find us at Oakland Analytics um, on Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you are a new listener or one of our original listeners, please consider giving us a five star rating or a review or something. Just something. Just if you just if you have the time. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure, though. (laughs) Throughout the month of April, uh, Podchaser is also doing reviews for good promotion, where every review that we receive on the Podchaser site in the month of April, uh, they're going to donate 25 cents to World Central Kitchen, which is the nonprofit started by one of our favorites, famed DC chef Josie Andres. Uh, he's been providing 300,000 daily meals to Ukrainian refugees. He's such an angel. We don't deserve him. Right. As well. Seriously. Uh, we are going to comment on every review that we get from Podchaser, and that's going to bump the donation up to 50%. So look for that link in the show notes. You and mean it just 50 takes... cents? Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? You said 50%. Oh, well... It, it doubles it to 50 cents. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to have that link in the show notes with sort of, uh, you know, how to go about doing that. Yeah. And but anyways, let's not talk about that stuff that nobody cares about anymore. Let's get right into it. What is on your radar this week? All right. We're going to talk about the uh, massacre in Boca, Ukraine. Um, Russia was asked to be ousted from the UN Human Rights Council. The U.S. asked that Russia leave the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden calls Putin a war criminal. We'll get into the implications of that. Uh, We have a a ton of global elections right now that could change the geopolitical landscape in the future, so we want to dive right into that. Uh, The AUKUS agreement now goes hypersonic. It's an interesting story. Uh, Finland says that they are ready for NATO membership. I We're bet gonna, they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> we are going to talk uh, Sri Lankan protests that happened this week. Also, North Korea looks to be planning underground nuclear tests. There was a nun kidnapped in Burkina Faso. And <gasps> yeah, and... Um, then we're going to end up end it out with History's Mysteries with the Tale of Shah Ami. And I think this one is a very, very interesting, totally, uh, you know, out in left field, out thinking outside the box, uh, History's Mysteries for this week. Well, I did what you asked and I didn't read up ahead of time like Good. I usually do. So I want this to be a surprise for everyone. So you're welcome. <laughs> um, as always... Give us that Russia-Ukrainian BS update. 
Well, the news of this week has centered around the uh, atrocities in Buka, Ukraine, where a mass gravesite was identified and an estimated 417 civilians killed, some execution style with their hands tied behind their back. Oh, my God. Who they all were, how exactly they died, are all questions that remain under investigation as authorities labor to identify the dead. Where is Buka in relation to the capital of Kiev? Well, it's just over 50 kilometers, or for our American listeners, 30 miles northwest of Kiev. Didn't Russia say they were retreating from the Kiev era area? Well, I mean, they sure did. And in the process of that, uh, no, no one can see the air quotes, but we're going to do air quotes here, retreating. Uh, Russia has been able to regain control of the areas surrounding Kiev. Uh, the Russian military is regrouping for another offensive in the area, and civilian lives are suffering as Russia is not holding back in their campaign to control the capital city. This has to be a last straw for NATO. I mean, what are they going? What are they going to do in regards to this awful situation? Well, NATO is still formulating plans of more sanctions. Yeah, there you go, sanctions. <laughs> Uh, but if you are looking for uh, Putin to be tried for war crimes, that is not in the plans as of right now. Uh, what is in the plans this week is that the United States asked the UN General Assembly, Assembly to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. Well, it seems like that could have been done and should have been done a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, you are, you're not wrong. And uh, the United States ambassador to the United Nations and a graduate from the Louisiana State University. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, that's Linda Thomas-Greenfield called Russia's participation in the Human Rights Council a farce. And she said that uh, she, for one, uh, well... She she says that they're a farce, and I would say that I believe that the same thing. And there's should have happened a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Uh, this is a long time coming, as you pointed out. And I do hope that something comes of this, because Russia is in its second year of a three-year term on the council. Uh, now, the UN Council cannot make legally binding decisions, but its decisions do send important political messages and it can't authorize investigations against various countries. With Russia sitting on the council, it will be difficult to proceed with any investigation into human rights violations by Russia. After a moment of silence for the deaths of Ukrainian civilians, the Russian counselor, Ivany Yustinov, said, We just held a minute of silence, and we do not oppose such a minute of silence. But we hope that all those present here, including the diplomats and U.N. representatives, will finally recall those thousands of people who have been killed and maimed by the authorities in Ukraine. And these are the people in Donbass. Um, what would it take to remove Russia from the Human Rights Council? Uh, it typically takes a two-thirds majority vote to remove any country from the council. And has this been successfully done before? Uh, yeah, so in March of 2011, Libya was removed from the Human Rights Council due to the crackdown and killing of anti-government protesters by the longstanding leader Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, I remember that guy. Yep, and you remember seven months later, violent protesters killed the Libyan leader, which extended an already deadly civil war. 
I do remember because those pictures were everywhere. Those horrible pictures of him, of them carrying him through the, his body through the streets and ugh. okay, sorry. <laughs> I just remember that they, they stuck with me. They kind of stayed in my brain and I wish they would leave. Right. Yeah. Um, now, you said that there would not be a declaration of war crimes against Putin by NATO, but didn't U.S. President Biden publicly call Putin a war criminal? Yes, he sure did. So uh, this week, he said the killings allegedly committed by Russian forces in Boka are in fact a war crime. And he called for a trial to take place against Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, President Biden did caution that we have to gather the information. We have to continue to provide Ukraine with the weapons they need to continue the fight. And we have to get all the details. So this can be an actual war crime trial. Also, uh, additional sanctions are being discussed and an inquiry into possible genocide in Ukraine is underway. Uh, Genocide is a term Ukrainian President Zelensky has used in reference to the atrocities currently happening in Ukraine. However, the U.S. and NATO have been clear they have yet to identify genocidal actions in the country. Well, obviously, we all still hope for a peaceful resolution and that genocide is not a part of the outcome of this war. Can you explain how global elections are changing the geopolitical landscape? Um, Of course. We're we're like tongue tied today. We can't get through this. I think we're just pumped for (laughs) baseball opening. Yeah, we're going to head to the... uh, to Nat's part. I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about now, but we apologize. Our brains <laughs> are not very good at focusing. <laughs> we but get distracted easily. As, Sorry. As if Russia's invasion of Ukraine wasn't already a game changer, multiple elections around the globe are changing geopolitics while the world is on the cusp of World War III. So let's start in Hungary, a country straddling the fence during the Russo Ukraine war. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hungary's Nationalist Prime Minister Viktor Orban has won a fourth term in office with his party receiving 56% of the vote. That is an 18% lead over the next highest vote getters, which is Peter Marquez's opposition alliance. Um, Orban said he had prevailed against a slew of enemies from, this is a quote from him, the left at home in Hungary, the international left all around the world, the Brussels bureaucrats, the Soros empire with all its money, the international mainstream media, and in the end, even the Ukrainian president. This guy. Yeah. Now, this victory statement is seen from, uh, I guess I would say, the international left all around the world uh, as an anti-Semitic dog whistle. Stop it. (laughs) Like, what is an anti-Semitic dog whistle for those listening who may not know, like me? (laughs) Well, in in politics, a, a dog whistle is the use of coded or suggestive language in political messaging to garner support from a particular group without provoking opposition. Uh, Much like a dog whistle is normally undetected by the human ear, an anti-Semitic dog whistle uses language that appears normal to the majority, 
but communicate specific things to intended audiences. Oh, okay. So he's like saying, like using keywords and stuff that would kind of let his party or who, you know, his supporters know what he's thinking. Yeah, exactly. But then other people don't pick up on it because they aren't part of that. Correct. Okay, I get it now. Um, What are the anti-Semitic dog whistles in this statement from Orban? Well, first, the statement on George Soros's empire with all its money. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, that's something what? you hear in the U.S. Spe- a lot. Yeah, just specifically mentioning George Soros. Like, <laughs> come on. Okay. <laughs> now, um, that is an anti-Semitic trope um, because it says that Jews control all the world finances and are an enemy to the common folk. Uh, the other is that he called the Ukrainian president, who is Jewish, an enemy of Orban's party in Hungary. That's so messed up. So what are the anti-Semitic dog whistles in this statement from Orban? Well, first, the statement on George Soros's empire with all its money. That's an anti-Semitic trope that Jews control all the world finances and are an enemy to the common folk. Uh, The other is that he called the Ukrainian president, who is Jewish, an enemy of Orban's party in the neighboring country of Hungary. Well, on top of that being really gross, I want to thank you for, you know, explaining that because I didn't know what that meant. Um, It appears that nothing changed in Hungary. So what elections are changing the landscape, though? Uh, Since this guy's on his fourth term, let's move on to where right. it's changing. <laughs> uh, and, and that would be uh, Pakistan's prime minister, Imran Khan, uh, survived an attempt to oust him this week after a no-confidence vote was blocked in parliament by the deputy speaker. Now, Pakistan's main opposition parties have been rallying for uh, Khan's dismissal since he rose to power in 2018 after a dramatic election mired in accusations of vote rigging and foul play. Uh, Khan has requested an early election to retain his seat as prime minister of Pakistan. No Pakistani leader has completed a full five-year term as prime minister since the country's formation in 1947. Holy moly. Wow. Now, there are concerns that Khan's move to call an early election could risk further political instability in the South Asian nation. Are there any other countries going through destabilizing elections? Well, there could be one soon in France with just days to go before the election. Uh, Emmanuel Macron is facing a tough test from rival Marine Le Pen, suggesting the vote could be much closer than the last time the pair went head to head in 2017. France hasn't reelected a sitting president for 20 years. And with the conflict in Ukraine fueling a cost of living crisis, French voters are focusing more on security. And Macron has been viewed as a failure in his attempt at preventing war in Europe. His rival, uh, Marine Le Pen, has been synonymous with the French far right for much of the past decade. Uh, She's been photographed multiple times meeting with Putin during the 2017 elections, but she's put French cost of living at the front of her platform, promising measures that would put, she claims, hundreds of euros back in the pockets of each household. She also pledged to lift sales tax on hundreds of household goods. I don't know if anyone should be aligning themselves with somebody who supports Putin, but... Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Okay. (laughs) How do the polls look in that election, though? Well, France has a two-tiered election process. Uh, The first round of voting will occur this Sunday. 
Um, and if no candidate wins a majority of votes, which is 50% or more of the popular vote, the top candidates move into a runoff. In 2017, Macron defeated Le Pen 66.06% to 33.94%. This year appears to be a much closer race, although most political pundits believe Macron will win another five-year term as president of France. Well, speaking of France, it seems as if AUKUS is back in the news, um, which France has opposed, obviously. What is the update there? Well, thanks to our team of investigators, or should I just say my wonderful co-host, Tiana. That's me, guys. Who sent me this report. Uh, News out of the Australian, UK, and US alliance is that there is work on hypersonics between the three nations. The Pentagon's 2023 budget request already includes $4.7 billion for research and development of hypersonic weapons. It includes planning that would have a hypersonic missile battery fielded by next year, a sea-based missile by 2025, and an air-based cruise missile by 2027. Australia stated the development of hypersonic missiles fits with their strategic plan released two years ago to enhance its military's long-range strike capabilities. All three locations would be strategic in the event World War III breaks out with Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea possibly teaming up to employ various hypersonic missiles. Sounds like these nations are finally being proactive in securing their countries against possible attacks. <laughs> it certainly does. And it makes sense after Russia used their arsenal of hypersonics in Ukraine. Well, it's refreshing to see that the governments are taking preemptive measures. Um, let's talk what Finland is doing in regards to NATO. Yeah, that uh, actually flows right uh, into uh, this next being area. Proactive. So, uh, yeah. yeah, part of proactive countries. Finland's becoming a proactive government. Uh, Finland's government is expected to submit a national security analysis to the country's parliament this month. And I just read they're going to present that next week to the the NATO alliance. Okay, cool. Um, Would NATO accept their membership? Uh, NATO allies stated they would welcome Finland and Sweden into the alliance if those countries decided to join. Well, what do the people of Finland think about joining NATO? Public support for Finland's NATO membership stood at 60% in March, which is a 34% increase since the fall of last year. Putin has definitely miscalculated the resolve of the people in the region, uh, and his dream of a NATO-free Europe is being ruined by his own actions. Finnish president has warned that applying for NATO membership would carry a quote-unquote major risk of escalation in Europe. Uh, So we're going to keep an eye on that situation for future episodes. Well, let's move on to the continent of Asia then. So what is going on in Sri Lanka? Uh, Protests are raging in the Democratic Socialist Republic of Sri Lanka. They accuse the government of mismanaging the economy and producing an economic crisis with severe inflation, daily blackouts, a shortage of fuel, and essential items. Uh, Sri Lanka's president this week revoked a state of emergency after dozens of lawmakers walked out, leaving his government in a minority in parliament. This could lead to a snap election that would oust the president's brother, who is currently prime minister of Sri Lanka. The recent economic crisis has affected Sri Lanka's global standing as uh, it has temporarily closed its embassies in Oslo, Norway and Baghdad, Iraq, as well as the consulate general in Sydney, Australia. Well, what else is happening in Asia? Well, according to analysts, North Korea is beginning underground nuclear weapons tests. 
seems like a huge red flag. Yeah, it certainly is. And South Korea is definitely taking notice. South Korea's defense minister said his country may launch a preemptive strike on their northern neighbors due to increased activity at underground nuclear sites in North Korea. That can't be going over well in North Korea. <laughs> yeah, the sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un said... Oh, uh, he lets her talk? Oh, yeah. Holy when she moly. says stuff like this, the okay. senseless <laughs> and scum-like guy dare mention a preemptive strike at a nuclear weapons state. Uh, she also warned that South Korea could be subject to retaliation. Um, as well, Pak Jon Chan, an official within the North Korean government, warned that any slight misjudgment and ill statement against North Korea could result in, quote-unquote, a dangerous conflict and a full-blown war. Is the U.S. reevaluating where we stand on the DEFCON scale? Well, the, the U.S. government doesn't officially post where we stand in the DEFCON warning system, uh, but the private intelligence organization called DEFCON Warning System has actually moved from yellow to blue, meaning there is a decreased likelihood of nuclear war. Uh, they do, however, caution that events occurring in the world require closer monitoring. It'll be interesting to see what changes are made to the system if North Korea does go forward with underground nuclear tests. That will be one to follow up on for sure. Um, you mentioned a kidnapping in Burkina Faso. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, moving to the continent of Africa, Burkina Faso is dealing with two huge news stories this week. Uh, first, we'll get this one out of the way. Uh, the country's courts sentenced former President Blaise Compore to life imprisonment for the murder of his predecessor. Uh, two others were also handed life sentences. Those individuals are uh, Gilbert Diandere, uh, the leader of the 2015 coup, and Hyacinth Cafando, the leader of Compore's guards at the time. Uh, the other situation is the kidnapping of an 83-year-old American nun in northern Burkina Faso. Uh, Sister Sue Ellen Tennyson was taken to an unknown destination by her kidnappers, the U.S. Embassy in Burkina Faso said in a statement that it was aware of reports of a U.S. citizen missing and was working diligently with local authorities to verify these reports. Well, our thoughts and prayers go out to her and her family, and we hope there is a swift release of Sue Ellen. Yes, and uh, we'll keep all of you updated as we get more reports out of Burkina Faso. Okay, there's so much tragedy in the world right now. Do we even have time for history's mysteries? <laughs> uh, I Looking at the clock, we uh, we do have time. Okay, and okay. I have a very unique intelligence historical figure to discuss today. Uh, this week, we will discuss the life of Shah Ami, which translates to dear friend. Uh, he is famous for delivering a message from an encircled battalion despite serious injuries during the Muz Aragon offensive in October of 1918. Uh, Shah Ami was a registered black Czech cock carrier pigeon, one of 600 birds owned and flown by the U.S. Army Signal Corps in France during World War I. On October 3, 1918, Major Charles White Whittlesey and more than 550 men were trapped in a small depression on the side of the hill behind enemy lines without food or ammunition. They were also beginning to receive friendly fire from Allied troops who did not know their location. Surrounded by the Germans, many were killed and wounded, and only 194 men were still alive or not captured or wounded by the end of the engagement. Uh, due to previous messengers being killed, the, these are human messengers being killed or captured by German forces, 
Whittlesey began dispatching messenger uh, messages by pigeon or messenger pigeons. Cher <laughs> uh, Ami was dispatched with a note written on onion paper in a canister on his right leg. Uh, the note spoke of the location of the remaining fighters and a plea for the allies to stop firing in their direction. As Cher Ami flew back home, the Germans saw him and opened fire. After several seconds, he was shot down but managed to take flight again. He arrived back at division headquarters, flying 25 miles in just 25 minutes, helping to save the lives of the 194 survivors. Uh, He had been shot through the breast, blinded in one eye, and had a leg hanging on only by a tendon. And he still flew? Still flew, got the message to the Allied forces, and returned to the original location. That's amazing. Uh, he became the hero of the 77th Infantry Division. I would Army imagine. worked feverishly to save his life. Uh, when he recovered enough to travel, the now one-legged bird was put on a boat to the United States. Uh, Shah Ami was awarded the Croix de Guerre Medal, and that had a palm oak leaf cluster for his heroic service in delivering 12 important messages in Verdun. He died, unfortunately, at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey on June 13th, 1919, from the wounds he had received in battle. He is one of the first recipients of the Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery that was awarded in 2019 for his bravery in battle. That, that's, that's actually really cute. To just I mean, know everyone, animals help us out too, from military working dogs to messenger pigeons. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for finding that. I really liked that. That's very sweet. Um, is there anything else for this week? Uh, after that, I think we are out of time for this week. Well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we mentioned in the beginning, head on over to Apple or Spotify podcasts and give us a five-star review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.